Hey, have you ever used Cheapo Air? For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast. You are listening to the Next Best Picture podcast, and this is Will Mavity's interview with the Oscar-nominated sound team of The Shape of Water, sound re-recording mixer Glenn Goche, and sound mixer Chris Cook. If I told you about her, what would I say? I wonder. Hi there, and welcome to yet another episode of the Next Best Picture podcast. I'm your host, Will Mavity, and today... I have with us two very special guests. We have the sound re-recording mixer and the sound mixer of The Shape of Water, both part of its Oscar-nominated sound team, Glenn Goche and Chris Cook. Guys, how are you? Woohoo! <laughs> We're good. We're good, yeah. Happy to be on the air. We're happy to have you. So it's it's an exciting time. It is both of you guys' first Oscar season, correct? Participating in nominated film? That's yes, right. It is. Well, that is fantastic. It's it's beautiful sound work and there's a lot to talk about. Um how did you both end up working with Guillermo del Toro in this in the first place? Uh Glenn here. I've done four pictures with Guillermo, starting with Mimic way back when. And uh, so whenever he shoots in Toronto, he he uh, he hires me. So it's it's a good relationship we have. And Chris, and similar with me, I I've, I've worked with him once before on a um, uh, television uh, a pilot called The Strain. Oh, you were part of the Strain team. I heard that. Um, I heard basically part of the reason the film was able to go so low budget was that he basically got a lot of you guys from the strain just to kind of come back on board in between seasons. Is that correct? Uh, I only did the pilot. So I only worked on the very first step. Like the, the, it was like a two hour pilot. I didn't work on the, uh, on the remainder of the series. So, but I believe the sound editors, the sound crew, sound editors, they, they did work on, on both the pilot. They didn't do the pilot, but they did the series. And they also worked on um, on the on the film on uh, Shape of Water. I know with that budget, uh, Paul was was able to Paul Osterberry was able to adapt a bunch of the strain sets and um, and reindorberate them for Shape of Water. And uh, you know we were we managed to stay in the same stage, so that was uh, that was pretty unique. So I guess you know I, I was going to address this later on, but how did you guys make? such a big budget sounding film on a 19.5 million budget <laughs> because I'm floored. Well, that's, um, I'm not sure how to answer that. I guess we're not bad at what we do maybe, or <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> you know, I'm not sure. I think, I think it's just, sorry, just we do what we do and, whatever comes our way, I guess I, I, you know, it's, we put our best foot forward and, and, um, bring your A game, you know? (laughs) Well, it, it turned out splendidly. Okay. So this is a film, obviously that's working with the elements extensively. 
you're working with water, which I imagine is incredibly hard to recreate the way sound travels through water or when water is heavily present in the background. Tell me a little bit about what it was like uh, mixing sound for scenes that either took place entirely underwater or had water pouring or spilling in the background. I imagine that was incredibly hard. Yeah, well, like in um, a lot of the scenes had water in them. And the, the underwater sounds were, a lot of it was provided, but then it had to be mixed, uh, you know, with reverb and EQ and so forth, you know, to, to and, and in the space and put it in the room to make you feel like that feeling that you're underwater. It's the opposite for me. I'm trying to record dialogue around, uh, you know, the running water and the labs and the steam and stuff. And uh, I, I'm trying to keep it at its, at, the, at its lowest level in order to hear the dialogues clearly. So it's funny when you get into post, then you want to enhance that. But on, on the stage and recording, you want to, uh, to reduce it. Diminish. That's right. You want to, Glenn wants to get the best recordings, which he does of the dialogue. And then we, um, we take that and then, you know, envelop the dialogue with, with the sound. So Glenn, you were, you were our production sound mixer, correct? Correct. Okay. So, uh, in sequences like the bathroom sequence, where as I understand it, the crew sunk the entire set underwater. How did you go about getting recordings for that? Uh, those were all pretty much recreated in the post by the sound designers, right? After the fact, uh, right. for the for the for the underwater stuff. Yeah, hopefully. What was the most difficult on set recording you had to do? Well, trying to record dialogue with full rain going outside the in the set, uh, as you recall from the movie. There's always a rain element somewhere, and so there was always rain outside the windows. There was always um, water running in the lab, steam in the lab, um, yeah. you know, pumps and, and whatnot. So really it was just finding that balance where, where it sounded natural that the rain outside the windows pounding on whatever, uh, trying to dampening, uh, the rain falling. So it didn't, didn't obliterate the dialogue and it, and it sounded more natural. We'd lay hogs hair down and whatnot to, to soften where the rain would hit. Cause we're on a studio floor, obviously. And then uh, just hearing the dialogue clear enough over this surround of rain that, that constantly was going on. Now, guys, tell me a little bit about working with um, Alexander Desplat on this. And maybe this is more of a Chris question because he was more working in post. But I noticed there's a lot of diegetic sounds incorporated into the score. You know, like Sally Hawkins' whistling, I know, weaves in to... Despot's score, and I guess a Glenn question was: Was that planned from the start? Was there an idea for how the score would be overlaid with the film? Was it planned to coincide with Sally's whistling? Tell me a little bit about this Desplat process. Uh, for me, not so much involvement. Uh, her dance and um, imaginary uh, sequence where she's ballroom dancing was one thing, but really uh, it was Chris and when Desplat delivered the music, I think it was his balance there that put that all together. Yeah. With the whistling section, I mean that uh, Sally is whistling in that as well. So it was a combination of a recorded whistle uh, that uh, Alexandra had supplied and Sally's a combination in certain spots. We weaved in and out of the 
the two elements on on the stage and just to create more of a reality moment and then uh, just more of a non-reality moment when we're on the bus and she's drawing uh, drawing with the water, you know, section there. I have to say, when I saw the movie finished, Alexander's score was absolutely stunning. It just brought everything together. It sure did. It was incredible. Oh my God. It's, it's, it's maybe my favorite score he's done so far, and that's saying something. And the way that he mirrors almost the way that water might undulate with the music is just gorgeous. Um, now, a- another member of the sound team who you guys have referenced some already is, are the sound editors. Um, tell me a little bit about your collaboration with them and creating the convincing sounds of a creature from the Amazon who's not meant to be terrifying but almost sympathetic. Right. Well, that was Nathan. Nathan Robitaille was the uh, supervising sound effects editor, and he created basically created the voice of the creature himself as a a test for Guillermo to, to you know, to uh, approve or to see because they were, uh, they were going to hire voice actors. But before they did that, um, Nathan took it upon himself to say, hey, I'll just give it a, a college try. And, and he did, and he did a wonderful job and um, Guillermo loved it. And also Guillermo added his own voice to the creature as well. So it's a blend of, uh, Guillermo's voice, Nathan's voice, certain animal creatures at certain times, different different animals at different times. Uh, a blend of like 64 different elements go into the creature's uh, voice to make up his voice. Oh my God. Basically. And then and Nelson Frere was the dialogue, uh, supervising dialogue editor, who did a phenomenal job also with the dialogue and all the ADR and it was just fantastic. It, it sounds like you guys had a very talented crew but it also sounds like Del Toro was very involved in the post-process. I know there are some directors who kind of let the sound guys do their own thing, like Mel Gibson, and there's others like Michael Bay who want their fingers in everything. It sounds like Del Toro was very much the latter. Tell me a little bit more about how Guillermo was involved in the process of creating this soundscape and post, aside from literally giving his voice to the creature. Right, well, when we were doing the final mix... Uh, he he wasn't actually there during the final mix for uh, for a lot of it. We would we would go ahead and mix uh, three or four, I think four reels or five reels. I think it was four reels, and then he came uh, back back and uh, and we played them down, and he um, approved or changed or made his creative choices and changed things. And so that's how that went because he's such a busy person. He's uh, he has a lot of things on the go, so he couldn't. He couldn't be on the stage like 24-7. Well, it wasn't 24-7, but he couldn't be on the stage when we were mixing all the time, so he had other commitments to take care of. And, uh, so um, so that's how we proceeded with um, Sydney. Sydney Walensky, the picture editor, was basically... Um, well, he was helping us with the mix, uh, what we should, you know, which elements we should push and certain, and certain things, and either that would be great or when Gerald came back or he would change it. And that's how that was the procedure went for that. So we, we did four reels first. We played those all down, did changes for a couple of days. And then we did the remaining three reels. And I believe he came back and we did changes for those reels for another couple of days and uh, then played the whole 
film down and did a few more changes for a couple more days and we were done. <laughs> if that makes any sense at all. No, it does. Sounds uh, easy, doesn't it? <laughs> it, sounds, it yeah, I'm, sure, easy, I'm sure this whole film was just a cinch for you guys now. Yeah, it was just a cinch. No, <laughs> it was amazing. It was, it's an amazing project and it was, it's just amazing to be involved, you know, with, with these uh, group of people. And it's just such an honor to be, just to be nominated and all that. What about the pre- the ticking clocks throughout this film? I know time is a presence, uh, obviously, in, in the narrative itself. Um, there, there were a few, you know, I'd love to ask someone involved in the film, um, both a few objects I was curious about symbolically. There's clocks that show up both in the film itself and the sound mix, and there's a burning chocolate factory. What can you guys tell me about both of those? You mean metaphorically or... <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean both first off tell me a little bit about how you guys wove time into the soundscape and then secondly if anyone talked about what the chocolate factory meant i'm just curious yeah no one's really mentioned the chocolate factory except it was on fire and it smelled nice <laughs> <laughs> it's hard to put smell in the in the sound but um um so yeah that was i don't think that was I'm not sure You'd, uh, Guillermo would be the person to ask about that one, but with the clocks, the clocks, yes, there were clocks. And, um, we did have like right in the beginning, there's the clock, the time, uh, time, uh, floating down and, uh, the alarm clock that Sally has in her room and it's always going. And then there's also like, it's all, a lot of metronome sounds in the sound effects, uh, like in the, um, in the lab, there's a pulsating uh, to maybe mimic a clock also. And um, I don't know how else to describe the <laughs> clocks, but there is a section where where uh, Michael Shannon is having making love with his wife and it, and it cuts and, uh, and we use the same rhythmic bed sounds and they go over the cut that are the same rhythm as the pulsing sounds of the lab oh that's kind of really cool that and we used his voice and the sound of the bed and and just carried that same rhythmic pulsing into the lab just to you know keep the sort of connect the two you know so what are some more easter eggs like that that average moviegoers wouldn't have noticed i can't say those things Oh, <laughs> I'm sure there's plenty though. You, knowing you have to go watch. You have to go watch the movie. That's and there's there's several. Oh, are there? I'm sure there are. Oh, this is going to drive me crazy. <laughs> what is something that during this season no one has asked either of you, both about the craft of sound mixing, sound recording, and specifically about this film? Huh. I don't know. Glenn, that hasn't been asked. Um, I don't know. It was a it was a hard movie. It was a hard movie, and it, it took the talent of a lot of people. And we were really late, late, late nights, late hours, and it was really people pulling together to pull this movie off. They didn't have a lot of money. Like I said, we had to endorberate a stage that existed and 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 make things work for us. So. Uh, and it, and it worked beautifully. I mean, the look of the picture says 1962, and and there's no question about it. And 
Yeah, it was just everybody bringing their A game, which you have to do with Guillermo anyway. Uh, and he demands the best from himself and everybody around him. And that's just the level you work at on any of his movies that I've worked on. So, uh, you know, you know that going in, but it it was not an easy film, but the results are, and the accolades are, are quite rewarding. Yeah. Glenn, are there any stories from on set you're allowed to tell us that were particularly entertaining? No. Like, no. <laughs> <laughs> what, what happens in the shape set stays in the shape set. I am a man, I am a man of discretion. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what's next for both of you guys? You know, you've both been Oscar nominated. So what's next project wise? I'm currently working on a Chris Columbus uh, Christmas movie. Kurt Russell playing Santa. I think it's going to be released uh, and on Netflix as well. And that's fun. It's been pretty good. And uh, yeah. who knows after that? We're, right, we're on to... the Baptist this weekend. Next weekend that's we're right. off to England. So that'll be a nice trip. I'm looking forward to that. It should be a lot of fun. And what about you? Uh, myself, I, I, I no, I'm I'm starting something uh, called "On the Basis of Sex." It's the uh, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg it's film. A picture. That's right, the Ruth Bader Ginsburg film. Yeah. Oh, that's fantastic! Well, that's I mean that could potentially be another Oscar player, and you could see yourself back here very soon. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> I know. I don't want to inflate your <laughs> ego. One, one at a time. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, thank you so much. You know, you, you guys have already given me a pretty good explanation of the film. Is there anything else you would like both our listeners and any voters who might be tuning in to know about your magnificent work on this picture? Well, vote for Shape of Water, first of all. <laughs> right. Vote, vote for the shape, yeah. And it's go a fantastic see the movie. Film and, and see yeah. the movie. It's a fantastic film. Guys, thank you so much. Uh, Glenn and Chris, you've been wonderful, and I can't wait to see if you guys are on the stage on Oscar night and to see what else you guys produced on the line sound-wise. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, you, Will. Once again, this is the Next Best Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Will Maverick. You can find me on Twitter at Mavericks Movies, and you can find the podcast on TuneIn, SoundCloud, iTunes. Please subscribe, and we will see you all next time. Cheapo Air. For years, and I really like it. With Cheapo Air, you can book online, use their app, or even over the phone. They've got great prices on over 500 airlines and millions of accommodations. They're my go-to for travel planning. And if you join their Club Miles program, you can earn points to save on the cost of your travel. Book on the app, and you get double points. Sounds like it's time I tried Cheapo Air. Call Cheapo Air at 855-247-3279 or visit CheapoAir.com slash podcast.